2: And welcome back to Blazing the Trail here on Mater Day Radio. My name is Miriam Marston, and I look forward to this time with you each week when we get a chance to dive a little more deeply into what it looks like to be a follower of Christ today, as well as a proclaimer of Christ and the good news of all that He has done. My guest this week is Father Anthony Cusack, who is a priest of the Archdiocese of Boston. Long-time listeners will know that I spent a number of years living in Boston and working for the local church there, and it was really a privilege to be able to meet so many people who witnessed Christ's love to me. And Father Anthony wants to do his part as well to help point people back to Christ, to redirect them, as he says, to the God who cares so deeply about each and every one of his children. A few years ago, Father Anthony started Fatherhood Ministries on social media. His stated goal is pretty simple—bringing Christ to the culture, freedom to captives, light to the darkness. And he does this through sharing Sunday homilies and other reflections, and he also released his first EP called Epiphany last year. But this theme of fatherhood, that's where I want to start this episode—pausing on this image and understanding of God as a loving Father— As I was reflecting back on my conversation with Father Anthony, my mind kept returning to the parable of the prodigal son in the Gospel of Luke. It's such a well-known story, and for good reason, because I think many of us can relate to being at a low point in our lives and not knowing where to turn, and in that moment remembering that God is there and is waiting and is seeking, always ready to embrace us and welcome us back home without a a told you so or a resentful remark, but with perfect love, which invites us to deeper transformation and conversion. So before turning to the interview, I wanted to share that passage from the gospel, and I'd encourage you to direct your attention to the figure of the Father. We know that He's looking for His Son because He catches sight of Him while He's still a long way off, and He runs out to meet Him. I know that we might have all had moments of resonating with the experience of the Son, but here, just for a few moments, take some time to sit with that reality of our Heavenly Father's incomparable, unrivaled, unconditional love for each of us—the love that brings us home over and over again. From chapter 15 in the Gospel of Luke. The younger son collected all his belongings and set off to a distant country where he squandered his inheritance on a life of dissipation. When he had freely spent everything, a severe famine struck that country and he found himself in dire need. So he hired himself out to one of the local citizens who sent him to his farm to tend the swine. And he longed to eat his fill of the pods on which the swine fed, but nobody gave him any. Coming to his senses, he thought, How many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food to eat? But here am I, dying from hunger. I shall get up and go to my father, and I shall say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Treat me as you would treat one of your hired workers. So he got up and went back to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father caught sight of him and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. But his father ordered his servants, Quickly bring the finest robe and put it on him, Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet take the fattened calf and slaughter it then let us celebrate with a feast because this son of mine was dead and has come to life again he was lost and has been found then the celebration began i'm joined today by father anthony cusack who is a priest of the archdiocese of boston father anthony it's great to have you on the show how are you today
0: I'm wonderful, Miriam. How are you doing?
2: I am doing great. Uh, Father Anthony, I've been uh, grateful for your friendship over the years. Uh, We originally met when I think I was working for the seminary back in uh, Boston, and uh, I got to attend your ordination back in 2015. Absolutely. yeah. You
0: brought up the gifts at my first Mass, I seem to recall.
2: It was a very special moment. So it's great to be able to have this chance to hear um, just a bit about your story, what you're up to these days, and be able to share that with our listeners. So... Let's go ahead and dive in. And Father Anthony, uh, could you share with us where you grew up? um, And was the faith something that was already in your environment growing up? And can you remember some points where you yourself experienced being evangelized uh, just more intentionally?
0: Sure. Uh, This is the boring part of my story, because I was always kind of, you know, a good little Catholic boy, I didn't really have the Rock star conversion experience where, you know, I was like in the mafia killing people. And then I overheard a guy preaching on the corner and my life was forever changed. Um, uh, so that part is a little boring, but the, the good news is that, um, good Catholic families, uh, exist and they, when they work, I'd like to think that I'm proof of that. And I was blessed to be born into a uh, wonderful and very, uh, actively Catholic family. And that really was the foundation for, uh, my life and my relationship with Christ. Yeah. Um, I was homeschooled, which I know you know that about me already, uh, which obviously, you, not necessarily for everyone, but uh, you know, it was part of the ways in which my family really wanted to be all the more instrumental in my yeah. formation of the faith as, uh, as I got older, because as we all know, school can be the chal- most challenging, t- school at any age of life can be the most challenging yeah. times for our faith. And so my parents were really very much obviously present and uh, just built that to this day when I, you know, I'll go see them on my days off. Uh, and they've got their little prayer routine of doing like the chaplet and the rose. They even made up their own chaplet, actually. So like they got this little prayer routine that even now they they still do. Um, and I'll, you know, they'll, they'll let their son who happens to be a priest pray with them every now and again, and maybe lead the rosary for them or whatever. So uh, the prayer, their prayer life and their faith life has just always been uh, just something I grew up with. Um, yeah. I think because of that, uh, in a very stereotypical way, um, not to make this about my vocation necessarily, but maybe to oh, touch it on It great that to hear. Yeah. Um, I think I was a kind of a stereotypical obvious. I mean, I went to daily mass with my mom for crying out loud. So I think most people, you know, the little old ladies at church would pinch my cheek and say, Oh, who make like a beautiful priest one day. And I'd be like, stop pinching my cheek and leave me alone, please. I don't want to be a priest. Um, so, you know, I, again, like from a very kind of on the outside, as most people would have predicted, like I was kind of a natural pick to be a priest again, mm-hmm. from a very kind of surfacey, stereotypical view, but it was never something that I wanted until much, much later in life. Yeah. Uh, and again, maybe we'll talk more about that, but, uh, suffice to say that the seeds were always planted for that relationship with Christ mm-hmm. in my life. Um, and so, like I said, I didn't really have a definitive moment, but I think those seeds were first of all planted by my family, first and foremost, mm-hmm. which emphasizes to me, I think the importance of of family life, especially yeah. of, of dads. My dad has always been a good, faithful Catholic man and always sort of my role model for what it means to, to be a father and to be a man of faith. And you see the um, the toll, I guess, that's taken on our on our society and certainly on our churches as well, sort of the absence of well, the brokenness of families in general, but so much of that, of course, is due to the failure of our fathers. And I think culturally speaking, that's a really important point and something that sort of um, impacts a lot. If we talk about my ministry a little bit later about how that kind of influences that and influences my ministry as a priest and all that kind of thing.
2: Uh, Thanks for that, Father Anthony. And um, you said that your story was boring and I would disagree because I don't think it's ever boring where we see the Holy Spirit at work. So amen. That's um, true, true. yeah, but I, I think you summed that up really well. You, you give a beautiful witness to the importance of a family who uh, is committed to the faith together, who's praying together, because I was going to ask you, we hear about what a good Catholic family looks like, but you put prayer and attending mass really at the center. So you answered my question already. And where was home growing up? South Boston. Well, you mentioned a little bit about your vocation. I would be curious, actually, if you could share, was there a turning point where finally that call to the to the priesthood started to take hold for the first time? Because that's another sort of area or degree of evangelization. So what, totally. what turns your heart there?
0: Yeah, um, I always kind of say that, like, I really made the decision that, like, I was all in and that I really wanted to be a priest about three years into the seminary, which sounds... <laughs> kind of awful, but it remains true. Um, so, I mean, like I kind of already said, it was something that was always kind of would come up in my life in sort of a nagging way. And not really something that I, I wanted to do. And most simply, and maybe this is an obvious thing to say, but I mean, I wanted a family. I wanted my own Catholic family. Mm -hmm. I wanted to, you know, um, meet the beautiful Catholic woman that I was obviously thought I was made for and have a bunch of kids with her. And that's, you know, pretty much all that I wanted. Um, so, um, I guess after college, you know, I had a, several relationships, but I had one in particular that was uh, lasted about three years and, you know, kind of thought she was the one, blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah. Um, that just ended for its own reasons. And then after college, I got a um, pretty decent, actually, job just doing um, uh, sort of supplies for a hospital, Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston. Um mm-hmm. And it was a great job in terms of like your first job out of college type of thing. But I just knew I didn't want to spend the rest of my life there. And so I sort of got into that point after college of not really knowing what I wanted to do with my life and the road I was on now would have been fine. I would have made money. I would have been comfortable. Yeah. But I just knew I'd be dead inside if I, if I, you know, kind of did that even for like another five years, Never mind the rest of my life and the relationships hadn't worked out the way I thought. So I was kind of like, well, I've been running from this all my life so maybe I should just give it a try. Um and so the first kind of little baby step I took was a vocation retreat. Um you know like one of those weekends retreat kind of things. And even then I kind of met the other guys and I was like I'm just not like these guys. Like you know these guys smell holy and you know what I mean. They they reek of holiness and I'm just a little too normal I think. So it wasn't like I it wasn't like that retreat single-handedly changed my life sure. but that was like the first baby step. And uh, I remember, I'll give him a shout out, I guess, but uh, then seminarian and now priest, uh, also for the Archdiocese of Boston, Father Eric Hayden at the time, uh, said to me, if you're ever not sure where God is calling you, and you have two possibilities, two roads that you could take, and you don't know which one he's calling you to, uh, just pick one and trust that even if it's not where God is calling you to, that he will make that known to you in time, and that no matter what, it's never going to be a waste because mm-hmm. everything is you, you learn something from from everything. Uh, and so that stuck with me and that made a lot of sense. So it was kind of in that mm-hmm. spirit that I entered the seminary again, not even necessarily wholeheartedly wanting to just with that sense of right. I've been running from this all my life. Let me quote unquote, give it a chance. Um mm-hmm. And then gradually over the next three years, you know, um I had a lot of kind of angry (laughs) prayer, prayer times with God. Uh, But I think ultimately very gradually in ways that were very kind of intimate and personal and meaningful that he just sort of helped me see that not only does he want me to be a priest, but in places in my heart that I didn't even know existed, that I want me to be a priest as well. So,
2: yeah. Yeah.
0: So kind of a roundabout way to get there, but that's how I got there.
2: <laughs> no, that's great, and and to to do so with um with sincerity and discernment, and it sounds like you had some good people to support you along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, no, that's a, a great summary. Um, and uh, for those who are just tuning in, I'm speaking with Father Anthony Cusack, who is a priest of the Archdiocese of Boston. Where are you currently uh, serving um, in your priestly ministry?
0: I am co-pastor. Uh, in situate, along with my other co-pastor, Father Matthew Conley.
2: Now, for those of us, because a lot of our listeners are in the Pacific Northwest, they might know where Boston is. Is that north, south, east, or west of Boston?
0: I didn't know where situate was until I was sent there, so it's very understandable. Uh, It's south. It's part of the south shore. I'm sure it's very beautiful,
2: too. There's some lovely spots uh, kind of in that area. Um, So, Father Anthony, can you just give us a snapshot of what you're up to these days, Uh, again, both with priestly ministry, but also Again, your social media presence and some music as well. Could you take us uh, through that?
0: Yeah. So um, I started a um, a social media ministry, um, which is called Fatherhood Ministries in my head. that That's clever. So I came up with this name, uh, Fatherhood, which is all, it's one word, but the F and the H is capitalized. Mm-hmm. So the handle, that's what the kids call it, right? The handle?
2: I think so. Yeah. Okay, I'll check hand, with the kids later, but yeah. Yeah,
0: right. The handle is at Fatherhood Ministries for those who want to look me up on Instagram and Facebook uh, that kind of started in a roundabout way at the same time, it was like 2020. And to be very honest with you, I was kind of done with social media personally. I was just like, uh, you know, this is just kind of taken up too much of my piece. And so I really pulled back from social media at that time. At the same time, my sister uh, was starting a, a business of uh, advertising via social media. And so she sort of came up with the idea of basically essentially doing my social media for me. And so mm-hmm. that was the point at which, uh, so to this day, I don't have like a personal Instagram or a personal Facebook, but it is, um, solely for this ministry, fatherhood ministry. So, um, mm-hmm. I don't even look at it. I couldn't even log into it today if I wanted to, cause my sister runs the whole thing and it's, it's great. I'm happy that way. Um, but I make the content. It's mostly like videos, like a, like a Sunday mm-hmm. quasi homily. Um, but it's very much, um, What's the word I'm looking for? It's a very urban style. I like rap music a lot, as you know. Uh, so um, I kind of approach it that way, and so it's not necessarily how you would hear me talk like in from the church. But yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a bit more, uh, it's a bit more infor- informal, and it's a bit more uh, urban-inspired, let's say. Yeah. Um, so it's mostly these, like again, kind of once a week reflections on the gospel. Um, but I also do a podcast occasionally where I talk about movies and and culture and things like that. Um, I'll also just randomly do like a short video if I move to speak about a particular topic or a particular Saints Day um, or something like that. And then what I think is the coolest part in the middle of all that is um, I got around to recording some of my own rap music. Um, My sister, in addition to doing the social media thing, she manages a band. She manages a rock band and in that process has recorded some of her own music. Mm -hmm. And so um, I went down and I met her. Uh, her producer, and I talked with him, and I kind of shared with him some of these um, these rap songs that I've written, and he very masterfully just sort of created the beats and the music around them and awesome. made them sound as, as cool as I think they sound. Um, so I ended up recording what ended up being five songs, a five-song EP, um, awesome. which is called Epiphany, and it's on pretty much anywhere you get music. It's on Spotify. It's on Apple Music. If you're really cheap, it's on YouTube. Uh, (laughs) If you're not as cheap, it's on iTunes. It's on, it's it's pretty much on everything. So again, the EP is called uh, Epiphany. Um, And it's under the name Fatherhood, which again is fatherhood, one word, but the F and the H are capitalized. So kind of long-winded but that's basically what I'm No, watching.
2: no, that's great. And I want to ask a little bit I want to ask a little bit more uh let's talk about the music. Sure. Um so you wrote these songs. Um first of all, what inspired kind of your writing? What's the story behind some of the songs and who do you hope to reach with the music?
0: So uh the songs are all really different. So I mean, I don't think we have time to go into all of them, but for example, the the single, the first song that came out was called uh, The Hate in Me, which was I wrote kind of in that sort of post 2020 worlds where, um, you know, there was so much, I mean, we still, right. It's not like in the past, but like, there's so much division in our country and a lot of that's political. A lot of it's, a lot of it's faith-based, right. Like certain moral stands that we have to take and all that kind of thing. But a lot of it is more kind of petty in a political way. And I just felt like um, during 2020, especially, I just felt like everyone on all sides of everything was um you know professing to basically hate someone else's hate but not hate their their own hate and so that Mm -hmm. sort of became the gist of the song it's just kind of about how we claim to be against hate and then we hate the people who disagree with us is basically the the gist Mm -hmm. of the song so it's kind of sums up and there are some uh if you listen carefully to the words, there's a couple direct references to things that were going on around 2020 and some of those divisions and stuff. And the main point being, you know, I don't really take a side quote unquote in the song, but my point is that like, we can all be kind of a hypocrite sometimes and uh, the way to really stop hate is to kind of begin with ourselves and not condemn someone else. So that's kind of where that song came from.
2: Yeah. Um, Is there another song you'd like to feature um, that you'd like to share the story?
0: Um. Sure. There's one song that actually my sister Maria does the refrain for. Okay. She's, so it's a song refrain that she sings called, um, uh, why can't you hear me? Um, mm-hmm. you know, I had written that a while ago and I don't even remember what I think I was doing a youth event okay. and I wanted to, you know, quote unquote impress them with my ability to rap. And so I found myself writing this song. Um, and it's a little, it's a little dark. It's about suicide. It's about someone who's mm-hmm. on the brink of suicide um, and so the refrain, why can't you hear me is basically that person crying out to God. Um, mm-hmm. I won't spoil the ending because I am kind of proud of the ending, but it let's suffice to say, it does, it does not end on a hopeless note. Um, mm-hmm. and my sister's vocals, especially really, really add to that one. So, uh, in addition to the hate in me, I think that's the other song that kind of I'm, I'm most proud of. And I like to think in kind of a, an honest way, it really gets into someone's uh, it could be anyone, obviously, but gets right. into someone's very real struggles about about depression and about um, mm-hmm. contemplating suicide and stuff while offering the hope that that only Christ can offer.
2: Yeah, uh, I when I checked out your the, the EP, um, that song really stood out to me. Actually, yeah. I think I listened to it three times in a row but, and it really yeah. stood out. And I uh, your sister, Maria, a good friend, um, she does a lovely job on the vocals yeah. as well. It's she really does, it, totally it's does. kind of haunting. So yeah, I would encourage folks to check that out. Mm-hmm. Um, so for that second part of the question, Father Anthony, who are you writing for? Who do you want uh, to tune in to to the music? Um, yeah, what's the message you want to share?
0: Yeah, um, so I think especially sort of taking that last song, Why Can't You Hear Me as a reference point. Um, a lot of people have said what you just said, basically not necessarily listening to it three times in a row, but a lot of people have said So, and this is where it kind of really was touching to me is that like older people, people who don't necessarily listen to rap music, um, they liked that song and they got that song and they like Mm use the word haunting. They use word like that to describe that song. Um, Admittedly, she's biased, but my mother says it's her favorite rap song. Um, So with a song like that, I really sort of wanted to, um, it sounds too cliched I guess to be like whoever will listen blah 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 right. but I really wanted to kind of touch people who don't necessarily would not default to rap music as a genre but who right. sort of it hits them in a new way or it hits the message yeah. of the song in a new way and also I think most importantly I don't necessarily know that this has happened yet um, but ideally prayerfully hopefully I would like someone who's actually going through that sort of struggle to be able to hear the song and find some some level of comfort in it
1: um, yeah
0: yeah So, yeah, I mean, maybe that was kind of a broad answer, but yeah, I guess that's how I would answer that. No,
2: no, it's great. And um, do you find yourself really explicitly drawing from the Catholic faith or any scriptures or any spiritual readings or the saints as you're writing?
0: To be honest with you, I don't try to. I just kind of do what feels natural. Mm -hmm. And being a Catholic priest, that's going to influence my my consciousness and my art and the way that I express that and all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, so if you take something like the hate in me, I there's sort of, you could say there's a Christian ish message about not judging behind it, but really having said that, probably anyone could have written it. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, the last song I mentioned very explicitly kind of points yeah. towards Jesus. So again, um, I like to, not necessarily sit down and say, you know, what, um, what is the Catholic thing that I need to communicate? I just sort of kind of let naturally let the fact that I'm a Catholic priest focus on, you know, things that I find again, I, like I was, I was mad about everyone being a hypocrite in 2020. So right. I felt moved to right. So I, so I kind of going out on a limb and assuming I'm not the only one who, you know, feels this way or, yeah. uh, needs to hear this or be reminded of this necessarily. So, um, I just kind of start with, uh, with what I'm naturally mm-hmm. passionate about. Um, and, or, I mean, thanks be to God, I've never struggled with suicide or anything like that, yeah. but like, and, or other stories that I've just heard in my ministry, of course. um, and of wanting to, because I think so much of the Catholic faith for whatever reason is off-putting. And mm-hmm. so people don't realize that what they're seeking at the end of the day is God. And yeah. so whether it's explicitly or whether it's indirectly, um, I want to kind of create that, um, a new way, I guess, to kind of get someone's attention to repoint them back to God, if that makes sense. And again, not necessarily by being heavy-handed about it or like trying to write "quote unquote" a Christian song or a Catholic song, um, but just again, kind of tackling issues that I feel uh, passionately about. The song "Epiphany" is about—it's kind of two people's stories. It's about one girl who's kind of living a life of promiscuity. The other one is about a guy who struggles with same-sex attraction. So it's kind of like about just struggle It's just kind of directly dealing with. Um, people who may feel like they're on the outskirts or like their yeah. religion or the Catholic church isn't for them. Um, and just kind of redirecting that towards the God who actually, you know, cares and everything. And, you know, again, if it um, yeah. if it entertains no one but my mom, then so be it. But, you know, hopefully at some point it touches someone who needs to hear it by by God's providence. So that's my hope.
2: Yeah, well, thank you for for going out on a limb and uh, producing um, these songs, for producing the social media content that you have. Even though you wanted to step away, you knew that there was some need to bring your own voice uh, to that whole world. So yeah. I'm glad you said yes uh, to that. Father Anthony, we are coming up to the end of our time together. So I just want to thank you for this time today. Uh, and I just ask that God continue to bless you, your family and your ministry.
0: Thank you, Miriam. This has been
2: wonderful. God bless.
0: God bless.
2: As Father Anthony mentioned, he hopes his ministry is able to reach those who find themselves on the margins. Perhaps those who are feeling far from God and wondering why he can't hear them. And even for those who are on mission, working in the Lord's Vineyard, there can be moments of discouragement and wondering if what we are doing amounts to anything and if it matters to anyone. In those moments, even evangelizers can feel on the outside looking in. And as I was reflecting on this, I thought of Dorothy Day, who worked tirelessly to bring the love of Christ to the poor, and to help open the eyes of so many to the realities of poverty and social injustice. In one of her letters, she writes the following, You sounded so discouraged, and you know as well as I do that discouragement is a temptation of the devil. Why should we try to see results? It is enough to keep on in the face of what looks to be defeat. We certainly have enough examples in the lives of the saints to help us. Not to speak of that greatest of failures to the eyes of the world, of Christ on the cross. Why look for response? After all, we can only do what lies in our power and leave all the rest to God, and God will attend to it. You do not know yourself what you are doing, how far-reaching your influence is. God often lets us start doing one thing, and many of the results we accomplish are incalculably far-reaching, splendid in their own way, but quite different from what we expected. Let us think only in terms of our own selves and God and not worry about anyone else. I just go straight ahead, doing the best I can with the very poor human material God sends us. Just look at the kind of disciples He chose for Himself, and how little they understood Him, how they wanted a temporal kingdom and thought all was lost until the descent of the Holy Spirit enlightened them. Why should we expect to be anything else but unprofitable servants? We simply have to leave things in God's hands. Again, that's from a letter written by Dorothy Day, and she reminds us that we must never forget to leave the toughest and biggest part of the work to God— And we can really only strive to be faithful in what has been entrusted to us and asked of us. And through it all, let's keep speaking with Him and to Him in prayer, because God does in fact hear you and is listening to you with perfect attentiveness. And not only that, He loves you with such an all-encompassing, all-consuming love that we might mistake it for silence— Because sometimes we miss the thing that is right in front of us and all around us. So God is there, and He is good. So let's keep turning to Him and helping to bring others to Him as well. Thank you so much for tuning in. Again, my name is Miriam Marston, and I hope you'll join me next week as we continue to hear stories of how God is at work in our world today. Until then, stay well and stay close to Christ. God bless you all.
1: You've been listening to Blazing the Trail, a weekly show dedicated to the church's mission of evangelization. For more information on Miriam Marston and her work, plus an archive of our past shows, visit us online at matradayradio.com or download the Hail Mary Media app. Blazing the Trail is produced at the studios of Matreday Radio in Portland, Oregon.